Acts chapter 26. Anybody remember where we are here? I don't have my laser, but we got a picture here somewhere. Okay. We are looking at the theater in Caesarea, uh, where Paul will be this evening in front of Festus and Agrippa II and Bernice. Uh, we go there. You see there's kind of a thing right there in the middle with railings. That's where they were seated. Uh, acoustics, remarkable. You can throw down a dime. Somebody from Philly's there. They'll grab it real fast. But you can throw it down, and you can hear it through the whole place, remarkably. Um, so it was a place where they had theater. It was a place where different things were enacted. It was a place where they held court. It was a place where a lot of different things took place. So Paul is there now. He's in front of Festus, who's inherited him as a problem. And Agrippa II has come with his sister slash wife. He's living in incest with his sister Bernice. And he's requested in verse 22 of chapter 25, he says, I would also hear the man myself. Festus says, and tomorrow said he, thou shalt hear him. So Agrippa II is, takes the title King Agrippa. He's over parts of Syria and Lebanon and northern western Israel. Um, but he's an interesting character because he is also being related to the Herods. He has jurisdiction over the Temple Mount. He is the guardian of the temple in Jerusalem, not over the rest of the city. And he is the one who appoints the next high priest. So as he comes to Caesarea, no doubt to welcome Festus to the area, Festus is telling him about the problem because Festus is not completely familiar with all the, the Jewish undertakings and difficulties and so forth. So he's hoping that Agrippa will be able to help. So Agrippa says, I want to hear the guy. Get him in. I want to hear him. So Paul now is standing, it tells us, in front of Agrippa and Bernice. He's standing in front of Festus. He's standing in front of the tribunes. Again, Josephus, I believe, tells us there were five of them stationed at all times in Caesarea. That would be a thousand men plus auxiliaries for each tribune. And the civil leaders are there. So it's an interesting crowd. For Paul, it's a dream. You know, he's got a captive audience. Uh, he's looking at this much differently than they are. They're thinking this guy, you know, is confined. He's in our captivity. Paul says he's the prisoner of Rome when he writes, and uh, they can't get away from me. They're chained to me and can't get away. So he has a different perspective. He's telling now, our start of verse 13, he's saying, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, it's an Aramaic, Saul, Saul, knows his name. Why persecutest thou me? And I don't believe it's an angry voice. It is hard for thee to kick against the goads, against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? He's already owned them as Lord before he gets the name. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, 
I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And we've kind of come now to verse 16. And the Lord says, but rise and stand. It's, it's kind of emphatic. He puts those together, rise and stand, like they would be different, but Paul can't see. He's blind. He says, rise and stand upon thy feet. He wanted to make sure he just didn't get to his knees because he's overwhelmed. He says, rise and stand upon thy feet. Because there's purpose here. I have appeared unto thee, the Lord says, for this purpose. To make thee a minister, an underro. It's not our normal word for minister. It's an underling, an underrower. Uh, I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a martyr and a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen... And of the things in which I will appear unto thee. So further appearance. So any measure of the Lord in our lives, you know, these things with Paul are, are dramatic. But any measure of the Lord in our lives has purpose to it. You know, he appeared to him in chapter 23, still in Jerusalem, in the Antonia Fortress, and told him, you know, Paul, you did a good job here today. I know you started a riot, but you did a good job, and you're going to give testimony of me in Rome as well. He tells us in 2 Corinthians, which he's already written a number of years before this, he said, it's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether he was in the body, I cannot tell, or whether he was out of the body, I cannot tell. So that had to be him, if you trying to figure out whether he was in or out. God knoweth that. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and he heard unspeakable words, <clears throat> which it is not lawful for a man to utter. He heard things, <clears throat> it, it was, you know, it would have been a crime for a human to try to say the things that he heard in heaven of such a one hour glory. And we know there's purpose in that because it says that God let, gave him this thorn in the flesh. Paul's going to tell, I was humbled and a messenger from Satan to buff me, two separate things. He had some kind of physical infirmity that the Lord allowed to come into his life. And on top of that, a, a demon to hassle him, say, oh yeah, if God loves you, how come this is going on? You may have this demon in your life as well. Oh yeah, if this has happened, how's God love you? Look what's going on. How are you going to convince anybody God loves you? This, you know. And he says, and he said, I besought the Lord three times over this with fasting and prayer over the years and he said, the Lord said unto me, look, my grace is sufficient for thee. There was purpose in that encounter with the Lord at that time. There was purpose, he said, in Jerusalem. The Lord told him he'd be going to Rome, which is very important to him at this point in time. And he's saying the very first time the Lord appeared to me, he said, I've got a purpose in this. Saul, there's purpose. And he said, that is, he says, 
to make thee an underling and a martyr, both of these things and the things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee, please note this, from, here's what he's being delivered from, delivering thee from the people, when he uses that phrase, he's talking about the Jews, Israel, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. This is an interesting idea. He doesn't say I'm going to deliver you from hassles or trials. I'm not going to deliver you from suffering or from pain. He said, I'm going to deliver you from the Jews and from the Gentiles. You know, Paul probably at some point in his life said, you should have just delivered me from pain and suffering and so forth. Paul has already written First and Second Corinthians. Now look, as we come to the end of this passage, we're going to read about Paul boarding a ship to go to Rome and the, ship, the, the shipwreck, the hurricane, everything that takes place. But before all of that, Paul wrote this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I spent in the deep, in journeyings, often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils, he says, of the heathen, in perils of the city, perils in the wilderness, perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, in hunger and in thirst and in fastings and in cold and in nakedness. And besides all those things that come upon me daily, the care of the churches. So, you know, here's Jesus when he appears to him, says, I'm going to deliver you. At some point on the line, Paul must be saying, Lord, define deliver for me once again. You know, help me understand that. Because look, it's important because we think that. You know, we think that. We're saved and the Lord's going to deliver us, you know. And if he doesn't, we're saying, Lord, what's the deal? But in all of those things, there's purpose. Now, I'm a wimp. I'm not preaching the choir here. I don't like the idea of some of these things that may happen in my life. I have dear friends right now going through tremendous trials, men that have served God for years. You can pray for Dr. Ed Heinsen. I heard today that he's in. He's intubated. He's on a ventilator. His system is failing. I don't know if he's going to make it through the night. He's been a good friend over the years. But I know he knows in his heart that the Lord is in process of delivering him from many things. He says here, from the Jews, from the Gentiles, I'm going to deliver you. Not from the sharks, not from the shipwrecks, not from all the, you know, in the next chapter when Paul's got to get on a ship again, I'd be saying, can't we go overland? I mean, this is, I've done this enough times already. And he says, delivering thee from, that's the important word, he defines it, the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. And the purpose here again is to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, 
and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know, so it's fun, interesting. Some, some uh, uh, versions, some translation put those words in red because Paul's just quoting exactly what the Lord had said to him. And he says, I want you to go and open their eyes. Now, Paul's going to tell us in Second Corinthians, he's going, to, he's going to tell us that, look, if people don't see, it isn't because there's no unction. If our gospel be hid, and he's already written this. If our gospel be hid, it is hid from them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine, there's your light, unto them. Again, in Colossians, he says this, giving thanks, which he will still write in prison, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us fitting to be partakers of the inheritance with the saints, he just told us that, who hath delivered us and translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So he's made us meet for that. He's taken us fitting for that. And here he says it's about translating us from the kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. So here, here's God's purpose. He, he says to open their eyes, God wants us to see. He wants to take us from the kingdom of darkness, which is Satan's influence, that we might receive the forgiveness of sins, that, that word is remission there. And the idea is our sins will be sent away. We're told this in Psalm 103. It, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth those that fear him. So they're going to receive forgiveness, remission, and then it says this, and an inheritance among those that are sanctified. It's, it's interesting. It's not the normal word for inheritance. They're going to receive a lot, which is a picture of inheritance, but inheritance strictly speaks of the future. When we get saved, we're brought from darkness to light to remission of sins, and there's a lot for each of us. There's something that speaks of that which is coming, but that we receive now. Each of us have a lot, you know, as the lots fell out and the inheritance in the land, there are certain things that have fallen out to each of us. He says, and that will happen amongst those that are sanctified, and that is passive perfect. You don't sanctify yourself. You don't get in this condition by huffing and puffing and blowing the house down. You're sanctified because of what he's done, and he's brought you from darkness to light. He's, he's delivered you, and his purpose in that is that there could be the remission of sins in your life, that your inheritance, your lot could begin to be realized. And he said, and all of that is to those that are sanctified, passive, perfect, they were sanctified. They stand sanctified today. And you ain't got nothing to do with it. It's passive. He does that. 
It's a remarkable text as we look at it. Look, the thing that you and I, I think, need to remember because we're so, you know, we're on sensory overload because of everything around us. The truth is there's only two kingdoms. There are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, no doubt, and there's the kingdom of light. Isaiah says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend up to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. And they that look upon thee shall consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble? and shaked, shook the kingdoms of the world to make the world as a wilderness to destroy the cities thereof that open not the house to the prisoners. You know, only two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God, which initially stood in solitude alone. Adam and Eve walked in his presence and they had fellowship with them. When another will arose, another kingdom arose. I will be like the Most High. And all of a sudden, we have to realize there is another influence. There, there is the world that we're in. You know, you can look at individual things that take place, and we can identify them. And you, like me right now, some of those things can be in your heart. And as Christians, we can be frustrated and say those things are wrong, in the church and out of the church. But the Scripture says all of that is darkness. It's darkness. It's not just social issues or all of that. He says there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the darkness and the kingdom of light. And the reason Paul experienced the Lord's presence on the road to Damascus is because God was going to bring him under his tutelage. He was going to become an underling, and that was the purpose that he might, again, I think about it, deliver him from the Jews and from the Gentiles, and to whom I send thee, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. It's a reality in our world that people don't realize. From the power of Satan unto God, reason that they may receive the remission of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. Remarkable things you could put together there. And it says, Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. I guess not when that happens to us. I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus, and then at Jerusalem, then throughout all of the coasts of Judea, then to the Gentiles, again, the purpose that they should repent, turn to God, do works, meet for repentance. So interesting picture. Paul tells us here, and he's, you know, probably not that far over 30 years old, 
when he encounters the Lord. That happened around 35 AD on the road to Damascus. It seems like he was a member of the Sanhedrin by certain words used in the New Testament, my belief. And uh, he had to be at least 30 to be a member. So it seems like we're about 25 years later at this point in time. So Paul is between 55 and 60. That's old in this world, Jung now. It's old then. The average lifespan of a male in the culture was between 41 and 45. So Paul is this old guy. He's saying, look, this happened years ago, years ago. And he tells us all the shipwrecks, all the different things he'd been through, that that's a picture of the Lord's delivering him, you know. And he says, you know, it started Damascus, then to Jerusalem, you know, and then to all the coasts in Judea, you know, then to the Gentiles. He, he tracks all these years in his mind. But he said the purpose of all of that is that they should, number one, repent. Number two, turn to God. And number three, to do certain works. And those are all present tense. That they should be repenting. Repentance isn't something that we do once in our lives. It's a lifestyle. They should be repenting. They should be turning. We should be turning more now than we've ever turned. Certainly there is an initial repentance. An initial turning that's eridus that we do this kind of a once and for all turning and then doing those works christianity looks like something he says that our meat m-e-e-t for repentance axios it means the scales that your behavior should weigh as much as your profession that we should bring forth those things that are fitting or they weigh as much as our profession of the repentance we claim to be involved in and the turning that we're involved in and the doing of the right things. He, he says there are things that are fitting for that. And, and that's what I wanted to see in the Gentiles and the Jews, those changed lives. You know, the Jews turning from a legalistic system that was sending them to hell, that couldn't provide righteousness. The Gentiles turning from the pantheon of, of the Greek and the Hebrew culture and the immorality that was attached to that, the idolatry. And, and the, the, for there to be repentance, a change of the mind, metanoia, and, and ongoing as well. And, the, and to t then to turn, to repent, then to turn, the idea certainly is towards the Lord, and then to do, the behavior has changed, the practice has changed, those things that weigh as much as their repentance. He says, for these causes, because of these things, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. It's because of this, he says. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to the small and the great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Now, he's, he's pinning Agrippa to the wall because Agrippa claims to be Jewish and practice Judaism. I don't know how he does that living with his sister, but that's what he professes, like many religious people today profess one thing and do something else. 
But he's familiar with all these things. And he started out by saying, well, I'm here today because I believe in the resurrection and it's something that Moses and the prophets brought before us. That's what, and these guys are both saying, you know, Festus and Agrippa, they're saying, this guy ain't done nothing worthy of death. If he, the guy is a knucklehead. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, we could just let him go, you know. Now they're stuck with a guy that they have to send to Caesar as a Roman citizen because he's appealed to Caesar but you had to write the charges brought against the person so when he got to Rome, you weren't wasting Caesar's time. And Festus is freaking out because he's got to send a letter. I, I, the guy ain't done nothing wrong. There's nothing worth, you know, just, but he, you know, he appealed to Caesar. So we had to send him. Festus is, you know, he's worried about not staying in favor with Rome through this circumstance. So he says here, you know, it was over this, the resurrection deal. They wanted to kill me. And he's just told them, Jesus appeared to me. The one that was crucified and buried, he appeared to me. He's alive. Well, I'm a Pharisee. Should I, am I be persecuted because of that? He says, having therefore, he says, help of God. Now, interesting uh, again, here's help of God. He was delivered before. Now this is help of God uh, in the midst of that riot. The help of God was Claudius Lysias, the tribune that came out and helped him and grabbed him and drug him into the fortress. Paul sees that as the hand of God. He sees all of that as the work of the Lord. I am not the man that he is. I am not the man that he is. Because I don't look at every troubling thing in my life and say, oh, Lord, this is your hand. I look at a lot of it and say, blow the trumpet. Get me out of here. Or, you know, or Lord, you could take that person if you want to, you know. <clears throat> he says, this was the hand of God. I saw it. It was the help of God. I obtained the help of God. And he said, because of that, now, interesting, I continue unto this day. Uh, that's a perfect tense. I and it's I have taken a stand because of that, and I am still standing before you today. Paul will say this: For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in the high places. Just spoke to us about some of those things. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, that's our same word, stand therefore, having your loins girt about and so forth. Paul says here to Agrippa, look, I got into these difficult situations. This is why they wanted to kill me. He says, but I obtain help from God. I've taken a stand and I'm standing before you today. And again, you think, I think of all of the things in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists that he's been through, and he says, in all of that, I've taken a stand. I've taken a stand, and I am still standing, he says, in front of you. I continue, he says, unto this day. Witnessing, he says, both to the small and to the great. Now he's saying that because there are civil folks there, there are no doubt some servants there, and there's the king and the procurator. 
So he says, I'm witnessing both to the small and to the great, and I'm not saying anything other than those things which the prophets and Moses did um, say should come. Literally, it's the prophets and Moses said are destined to come. Some of that speaks to us in this day, by the way. The prophets had a lot to say to us, this last generation, about the things that were destined to come. So he says here, I'm, I'm not saying anything else. Interesting, uh, reading through some of the different church fathers and so forth. It says here, he sent me between the, to, to speak to the small and to the great. And one of them said, we need to understand before God, that's the same. We're either all small, the king and the pauper, or we're all great, the king and the pauper that has his love and has become his child. You know, Paul says, he sent me to speak to the small, no doubt he's applying it to those that are there, and to the great, and not to say anything else other than what the scripture has to say. And here's what he says again, that Christ, Messiah, should suffer, and that he should be, and the way this is written is very interesting, that he should be first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people. And he said about the light before, bringing them from darkness to light, and to the Gentiles. Uh, so he says that he should suffer the Messiah. This is what Moses and the prophets had to say, and that he should be first to rise from the dead. Now, Agrippa knows some of these things, understand. Um, you know, the first resurrection we see in the scripture is Elijah raising the widow's son. He didn't have a point of reference. It wasn't like he could look back and say, oh, this happened. Well, you know, Abraham did this or somebody else. Remarkably, he was the first one and laid on top of the boy and prayed and says the boy's soul came into him again. Uh, we see Elisha do a similar thing. We see the widow of Nain's son raised. We see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. We see Lazarus raised from the dead. But all of them died again. Bummer. You know, bummer. All of them died again. The, the, what it's talking about here is Jesus was the first to rise in glory permanently from the dead. He's the first fruits of in a whole new order. The reason we're gathered here tonight is because Christ is risen. The reason we go to Israel is because there's an empty tomb. Who would go just to see Roman history? Not me. Watch it on TV, wait, Hebrew. He says, being the first of those that should rise, should rise includes us from the dead, he's the first, and should show light unto the people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. Now they're both present as well. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus can't take it anymore. Festus screams with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Paul could never finish a sermon around these Romans. And, you know, he, he says, Paul, thou art beside thyself. We say schizophrenic, you know. We are beside thyself much learning, and he knows Paul's 
involvement with the school of Gamaliel and so forth, that he's a, a Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Much learning doth make thee mad. Now, the interesting thing is Festus is in his early 30s and will be dead two years later. And he interrupted a message that was coming to him that was the purpose of God in Paul's life and the reason that he saved him, that he should stand before the Jews and the Gentiles and kings and rulers. And Festus is hearing it right from the mouth of Paul, right from the mouth of Jesus. And the interesting thing is he, he stands up and says, you lost your mind. You, what are you talking about here? You know, Paul, you've, you're, you've lost your mind. People think that about you. You have friends and relatives that think that about you, by the way. He said, you're beside yourself. You're much learning. And, and we're assuming that he's under conviction as he says this. He doesn't know what to do with it. Look, it's like the book of Acts in chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost, and everybody's speaking in tongues. Certain of the people there said, ah, these guys are drunk. Yet Peter says, 9 o'clock in the morning is what are you talking about? But the same thing, they ascribe the work of the Spirit to the flesh this guy now is saying, you're out of your mind. Now, he doesn't really believe that, because if he believed that, he could send a letter to Caesar, say, he lost his mind, he's nuts, we don't know what to do with him, and uh, he appealed to you, he's a Roman citizen. Or he could just say, he appealed to you, but because he was nuts, we didn't bother to send him. He knows he hasn't lost his mind. He's just under such conviction, he can't hear another sentence. And, and you and I have people that will stop us in the middle of a sentence and yell at us too because we won't stop the Jesus thing. You're beside yourself. Much learning doth make thee mad. And he said, interesting, Paul, now listen to this. He said, he didn't scream back. Paul's in control. Festus and Agrippa are on trial. And Paul's ruling in the courtroom here. Paul said, the idea is he has himself under control. He says this, I am not mad. Notice, most noble Festus. He doesn't scream back at him. He's polite. He's controlled. I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words, remata of life, of truth, and soberness. Now, here's an interesting picture, guys, and look at it. Because Paul, you know, with both Agrippa, the second here, and with Festus, and with Bernice, who's living in incest, and her sister, Drusilla, was living with Felix after she had been through 13 guys, you know, Lord knows. And, and yet Paul, when he talks to them, you know, he, he says, I'm not mad. He tells us, and the reason I believe he's gracious with them, if you look back in chapter 10, he said, he talks about persecuting the Nazarene, the Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being, look now notice, exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them to foreign cities. 
It's not just, and Paul does, that he knows the grace of God and the love of Christ. Paul, when he preaches, he's going to say, you know, I'm the chief among sinners. You know, here are these Roman people. There might be immorality. They're, they're giving me an audience to listen. Whatever the darkness has overcome them. But I was different in that I hated the church deliberately. And I hated Jesus Christ. And they don't. They're lost. They're listening to me. And Paul says, no, Festus, I'm not mad. Oh, most noble Festus. He wants that life, Paul. Now, here's the interesting thing for you and I. He has to say to Festus, I'm not mad. I was mad when I was putting them to death. You know, this is an interesting thing in our culture. If you are into universalism or you are, you know, saying this Judeo-Christian thing's outdated or, you know, then they think you're brilliant. If you don't like the church and you don't like this fundamentalism that's coming at you, they think you're brilliant. But if you're sold out for Jesus, they think you're mad. And they did the same thing to Paul. When he was mad, they thought he was a genius. He had papers from the Sanhedrin. He, he was papered. He had papers. He had everything he needed. Now he's sold out for Jesus. Now they think he's lost his mind. Now he's crazy. You know. But he's saying, he appeared to me. He talked to me. I saw that. I'm only doing what he asked me to do. And he says, he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus. But I speak forth the words of truth and of soberness, of soundness. For the king, now he turns to Agrippa, the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. I feel free to speak like this in front of you, Agrippa, for I have, am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, from the king. For this thing was not done in a corner. Now, he, he's saying, I'm completely open with you, Agrippa, because I think you know all of this stuff. Josephus tells us that he corresponded with Agrippa II, and he wrote 62 letters back and forth. Because Agrippa II was so familiar with the temple, with the priesthood, that they corresponded. This guy, Agrippa II... His father was Agrippa I, who put James, the brother of John, to death, and then who was eaten of worms, you know, in this arena where Festus and, and Agrippa II are sitting. He was eaten of worms because he took glory to himself. His, and he knew all that about his dad, obviously. They put James to death, the brother of John, his great uncle, Herod Antipas, is the one who put John the Baptist to death. He, this is his family. He knows this. His great-grandfather, Herod the Great, put the babes in Bethlehem to death. So he knows about the nativity. He knows about the birth of Christ. He knows about the message of John the Baptist. He knows about what Jerusalem is buzzing about, this empty tomb. He says, Agrippa, you know all of this. I, I'm free. I feel free to talk to you 
because you, you, you know all this, and, and you oversee the temple, and you appoint the priesthood. This is all familiar. This is not new news to you. You've heard all of this. The king knoweth all these things before him. I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from you. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. He's pushing for a decision here. Agrippa can't say, I do believe in the prophets, because then he ain't got no excuses. He can't say, I don't believe in the prophets, because then all of the Jewish people that looked to him, particularly in the temple and pointing the priesthood, then if he says, I don't believe in the prophets. So Paul's got him. He's got him cornered. Agrippa's on trial. He, he said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be, and he uses the word, a Christian. He knows. You know, Festus to him, they were the Nazarenes or this sect or the way. Agrippa knows these are the Christians. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now eternity is in that word. Almost. Almost. That's like saying the parachute almost opened. <laughs> right? The ejection seat almost worked. The bulletproof vest almost worked. Right? It's fatal. It's fatal. He says, you know, you've got me close. You've got me there. You almost got me, Paul. Almost. And it's sad when somebody gets that close. Again, he's determining his eternity. And, and when he stands before the Lord at the great white throne, the Lord's going to open the books and he's going to say, oh, yeah, you had that sermon from Paul and you know what he was talking about and you, you, you decided not to listen. Look, if, if, if you're here and you've been coming and you haven't made that decision yet, you're saying, I'm almost ready. That's eternity in that word, almost. Almost ain't going to get you into heaven. Repenting, turning, and doing what happens in your heart through the Holy Spirit is evidence of, of your belief, not an almost profession. And look, you have friends and relatives. They're saying, oh, my, you got me close. You got me close. Don't give up. Keep working on them. And if they get mad, the better. That means you got them closer than they want to be. He says, Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, his answer is great, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, He's got this crowd, Festus, Bernice, Agrippa II, the, all of the tribunes, all of the, the, the civil leaders of the city. He has a crowd there. When he, sa he says, Agrippa, he said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all of those hearing me this day were both, two things, not just almost, 
were both almost and altogether such as I am except in these bonds. I wish you, all of you, were not, you were almost and altogether as I am except for these bonds, bonds plural, uh, again, probably not chains, Roman, Paul will specifically say that when it happens, it, uh, bonds plural, he doesn't have sets of chains on, he's, he's in custody, in the, and we see that they had given him liberty, but he said, he said I want you free. He came to set the captives free. Are you, you're not listening to me? You're telling me almost? I'm telling you the risen one sent me here to preach the good news so you could receive forgiveness, so you could be brought from darkness to light, so that you could be sanctified and have a future in glory. He wants you out of the darkness into the light. That's the heart of the one who sent me. And you're telling me almost? Really? People do that, you know. You know, what does he want? Then I have to become a Christian. Then I got to listen to him. Or I'm, you know, I realize I make the, if I make the commitment, then I have to be a Jesus, whatever. I have to read the book. Wait a minute. You know, you tell your friends, what are you talking about? There's darkness all around us. And the heart of God is broken. And he wants to bring men and women from darkness into the light. He wants them to receive the remission of sins. That's his heart. So they could be set apart for his purposes. And receive an inheritance. How remarkable. And when he had thus spoken, look what it says. The king rose up. That means meeting is over. Back in, in chapter 25, verse 22, it was Agrippa who called for the meeting. So Festus remains quiet because Agrippa then has the right to end the meeting. And, you know, he just at this point is almost there and he can't stand it. So it's, it says here, when he had thus spoken, Paul, the king rose up. And the order here is important. Then the governor... And Bernice, that's Roman order. They stood up in rank, as it were. Um, Agrippa didn't outrank um, Festus, but he had called for the meeting, so then he was in charge of it. So the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. Meeting is over. Look, was this whole thing in vain? Here he's got this remarkable, doesn't say that. We, we, we don't get any sense that Festus or Bernice or Agrippa II are converted. I'll be glad to see them in heaven if they're there. I don't get any sense of it. But what about the hundreds of others that were sitting there? What about the they that were there that heard this and experienced it as well? Remarkable to me. Obviously, this thing is not an exercise in frustration. God doesn't work that way. So when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and then Governor Bernice, and they that were sat with them. And it says, and when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, this man doth nothing worthy of death or bonds. So it says they went aside and it says, they talked, that's an imperfect, they began talking and kept talking between themselves, 
saying, they kept saying to each other, this man has done anything worthy of death. And Festus must be thinking, I knew that before all this started. I was hoping you were going to give me some way out of this. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, this man, he might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed to Caesar. Festus thinking, I know that. What I don't know is how to wriggle myself out of this mess I got myself in. And Agrippa is not giving him a door out of that. So it brings us now to the point where it says now in 27.1, and when it was determined that we, Luke is writing to us, we, and he's with Paul to the end now, 2 Timothy chapter 4.11, so he says Luke alone is with me. The great, you know, the physician is with him. When it was determined that we should sail to Italy, He wrote the, the book of Romans to the church in Rome, or it would have been called Italians. Um, we should sail to Italy. They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. Now, uh, we're not going to head into the hurricane this week. Uh, we don't want to do that. Um, historians say Luke is unequaled in this record he gives us, though he was not a sailor, of maritime rules and of weather on the Mediterranean Sea, that there is unequaled accuracy here of any historian that ever wrote about these things. And Luke writes them firsthand. He's there. And I don't know what Luke is thinking. I don't know if he, was he in any of those other shipwrecks with Paul. He was through a lot, no doubt. And he says it was determined then, because Paul had made this appeal, that we, isn't it interesting? Aristarchus is going to be part of this. That we. So the, the Romans, Festus, Agrippa, the centurion, they're, they're cutting him you know, some slack and extending some kindness. They're letting Paul, did he say, this is my doctor. I don't have Blue Cross and Blue Shield, so it's, I need to take my doctor with. You know, Luke goes with him and Aristarchus goes with him. We'll read as we get there next week. So it was determined now. This, the issue is done. It's determined that we should sail into Italy. When that was determined, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. So they deliver Paul, and then it says this, certain other prisoners, evidently not Roman citizens, <coughs> criminals, you know, revolutionists, and they would gather them and bring them to Rome to feed them to the beasts. You know, if they had somebody who was you know, apt to use weapons, they would let them fight with the gladiators. But normally those that were gathered from around the world were taken to Rome uh, to put in the Colosseum for the Romans to watch them be eaten by lions and beasts. Paul is different because he's, he's under the, the guardianship of Julius, the centurion, and he's a Roman citizen. We're going to, as we get into the, the journey, we're going to see Julius gives him 
leeway in certain places to have some freedom and so forth. <clears throat> it says he is of the Augustus band. Um, Cornelius of the Italian band, not the same thing. The Augustus band, Augustus means Caesar, which was Nero then. There was a certain group of centurions called the Augustus band, and they were deployed throughout the world. They would be under a tribune. They would be with the troops, you know, uh, somewhere, somewhere with a cohort. But they were specifically set aside centurions so that Caesar could keep his finger on what was going on in the empire. And they were sent back and forth from Rome back to the arena where they, um, they were over 100 men. In the beginning, very noble in character, but what happened as Rome started to disintegrate, they hated, the Romans hated, and the other soldiers hated these centurions because they thought they were always going back to, to, to Caesar to drop the dime on them, you know. So somehow they, some of them met with mysterious deaths and so forth. This Julius, we're going to find him delivered the same way Paul's been enjoying his deliverance. Uh, through a shipwreck and so forth. And, and we're, I believe we're going to see Julius soon. Soon. Because there's no way you could go through this and not be saved. All right? And we'll, we'll head into there next week. So we got now Paul is on a ship. Uh, we'll describe the kind of ship and everything that went on with Luke and Aristarchus. Um, against the better judgment of Festus and Agrippa because he's a citizen and he's appealed to Caesar. They break the law if they don't do it. So Paul now is on his way to Rome. He's not worried even when the storm comes because the Lord Jesus appeared to him in 2311 told him he was going to go to Rome and give testimony. So, uh, but you would think when the Lord says that to you, look, your Al Al flight leaves tomorrow night. You know, I put you in first class so you can get some rest. You know, I need you to get there and talk to Caesar. No. I'm sending you to Rome, Paul. Through Agrippa, through Festus, two years in, in Caesarea, uh, through a hurricane, through a shipwreck, through getting bitten by a snake while you're trying to warm yourself with the fire. I'm sending you there through all this, and there's a whole lot of people who are going to get saved in the process. He says he delivered him from the, from the Jews and the Gentiles, not from problems, not from difficulties, from the Jews and the Gentiles on who, unto whom I'm sending you to give witness, that they may be taken from darkness into light, again, you know, that they may receive the remission of sins, that they may be sanctified and set aside for his purposes, receiving an inheritance. God wants for you light, life, and glory. You know, and he's going to get us there, by the way. Some of us kicking and screaming, but he's going to get us there. Let's stand. Let's pray together. I encourage you to read ahead as we head into these last two chapters. And I just want to read about them. I, I want to take the correspondence course here. Uh, I don't want to read about these things so I can live through them. I like dry storms without sharks uh, and compared to... Day and a half in the deep, I'd have died with a heart attack. Because uh, I'd heard that music. Dun, 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 you know. So let's bow our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we, we go through this. Such details, such remarkable things. And Lord, there are things for each of us. 
Or we're not just learning about uh, another empire and another testimony of another man. We're learning about the empire we're in. We're learning, learning about the powers you allowed to be, though they're corrupt. We're learning about how to stand in all of that. We're learning that, Lord, things around us might be difficult and falling apart, but we can be in the middle of your will, right in the middle of all of that. We're learning to appreciate the inheritance, the lot, Lord, you've set aside for us and that you've sanctified Lord, our lives, that we stand that way through your power. Lord, so get us back, Lord, from Caesarea, from the Mediterranean. Get us back to Philly here, Lord, where we can take all of these things and, Lord, make application and translate them into our own local experience, Lord, because they're, they're, these truths we know are eternal. And we thank you for that, Lord. And we look to you, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory. Amen.